This is the Vegetarian Zen Podcast, episode number 75. Welcome to Vegetarian Zen, a peaceful place for vegetarians, vegans, and the veg curious to share tips for living a healthy lifestyle. Now sit back, relax, and prepare to get your veg on. Hey there, veg zeners. Welcome back to Vegetarian Zen. My name is Vicki. And this is Larissa. And in today's episode of the Vegetarian Zen Podcast, we're going to take a little stroll back in time and look at the history of vegetarianism. And I just thought about this, like, I don't remember what I was doing, and I thought, I would love to know just how vegetarian vegetarianism, you know, goes back in history. And maybe some people that, I know we're going to talk about at least one notable person in history that experimented with vegetarianism. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. And Larissa is probably going to do most of the talking in this episode because she is the history buff. I'm a buff. She is a buff. And she did a lot of research. But I have, uh, but I am a buff. (laughs) So she's, she's uh, very well educated in that area. So I'm going to let her do a lot of the talking. But first, before we get into our episode, I know we have a rating. We do. And today's rating, uh, again, we're still back in August playing catch up. And today's rating is from John Dennis from Smart Time Online. Now, John is actually a friend of ours as well. He is a fellow fellow podcaster, and he also has a Smart Time Online where he does web design. He does a whole bunch of stuff. Very smart and extremely nice guy. Yes. And uh, so John says, this podcast is truly a great example of how you can take a lifestyle and communicate the real world benefits of why living that lifestyle can be a great idea. I love their no pressure Zen feel something missing from this niche. Great job. Awesome. Thank you, John. And it was so nice meeting you in person at the podcast movement back in August. Mm -hmm. I got it right. Last time I... (laughs) I'm mixing up my months, mixing up everything. So, <laughs> all right. Are you ready to get into our main topic? Sure. Okay. All right. So, the practice of abstaining from eating meat and or all animal products, so vegetarianism or veganism, has a really long history. Really long. So, this will necessarily be a very abbreviated version, but there's so many cool little nuggets and facts in here. I think it's going to be fun. Yeah, I know. You were telling me about some of them. Really cool. So, Let's get into it. All right. So Pythagoras. Now we know, or I guess ninth graders know Pythagoras from his math theorems, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I don't remember what they are anymore. I don't know. Do you remember the Pythagorean theorem? Oh, I don't. Yeah, I don't either. I used to be pretty good at math too. Yeah, I I was too, but I I just guess I don't have any applications practical now for yeah. the Pythagorean theorem. <laughs> but uh, anyway, P- Pythagoras But don't was, listen to Larissa, kids. Do your homework. Do your homework. <laughs> do your math. Uh, Pythagoras was a 6th century BC Greek philosopher. And now he is widely known as the father of vegetarianism. And how cool is that? That is. You know, I mean, if he could see everything now and he's like, hey, dude, I'm the father of vegetarianism. <laughs> That's like so cool. So, uh, and if Pythagoras talked like that, I would just... I would die. Now, he was a Buddhist, wasn't he? Or at least he followed the teachings of, of Buddha? He he followed the teachings of Buddha. Uh, and of course, Buddha uh, he was a contemporary of his. So they lived at the same time. And he followed, he subscribed to the nonviolent aspect of, you know, treating animals the same as people and, and just nonviolent teachings. 
And he believed, now this is really cool, he believed that all living beings have souls. That's cool. Just a side note, I think when I was a kid, I believed everything had a soul. Cool. Like everything, even like, like objects, and everything. Lamps yeah. and yeah. cool. Cool. More so, natural stuff, I think, but er- I, I believed everything had a soul. So then th- the fact that I talked to the lamps and stuff while you're gone, <laughs> makes, that's okay. I don't know then. that I went to lamps, but I oh. was thinking like, I was Darn. more natural stuff, I should say. Okay. Um, but so here's something interesting. So he, he abstained from eating animals for ethical reasons, right? Because he believed that all beings had souls. Like we do. Like we do, right? But here's something interesting. He also refused to eat beans because he believed that beans and humans were made from the same material. Interesting. Uh, how he got that, I don't know. Hmm. <laughs> but uh, maybe because they're meaty. I don't know. I, it, I really, I need to find that out. I'm yeah. really interested. Okay. But so that's why he uh, abstained from eating beans as well. And so... Up until the modern vegetarian movement began in the mid-19th century, non-meat eaters were still referred to as Pythagoreans. That's really cool. Yeah, all the way up until the mid-19th century. I would have thought they would have been like, Pythagoreans would have been like the math club. Ha ha. Yeah, so so now we, we're going to fast forward way, way fast. Okay. So we're going to go up to the mid-19th century England. And... This is really cool. There was actually a vegetarian church that was formed in England in 1809. It was called the Bible Christian Church. And now, you know, I I don't go to church and I don't really subscribe to that kind of religious teachings, but I just think that's really cool. It's like an entire church. And I think what's so cool about it is that, and you'll see this change over the years, is that back then, most of the uh, reasons for being vegetarian or vegan were religious. So people believe that you could achieve a better state of clarity or spiritual, you could be closer to God if you didn't eat flesh. Hmm. So that's why, you know, the church makes sense, right? Right. So in 1817, so that was in 1809, 1817, a branch was formed in America by one of the men who would later form the American Vegetarian Society. Very cool. So that's kind of how it came over to America. Right. Okay. Uh, but first, before the American Vegetarian Society, there was the Vegetarian Society that was formed in England, and that was in 1847. And they embraced the virtues of temperance, abstinence, and self-control. And they thought on the opposite side that um, lust, drunkenness, and just general misbehavior. General shenanigans. Shenanigans, <laughs> yes. And tomfoolery. Uh, brouhaha, <laughs> you know, tomfoolery. Those were the result of eating meat. Interesting. Uh-huh. And you know what's so interesting is that back then, theirs was like natural meat. There mm-hmm. was no, it's not, it wasn't pumped with all the chemicals. Can you imagine I mean, that in itself could be linked to, you know, bad things, bad things. But back then it was just like me. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Um, So then in uh, three years later, in 
New York, New York City, the American Vegetarian Society was formed. So that was 1850. Okay. And that was formed by a group of vegetarians, including William Metcalf, who is the man who brought the Bible Christian Church. Right. I I remembered his name. Mm -hmm. Right. And so in the beginning, uh, this is really cool. The American Vegetarian Society, the AVS, was popular among, uh, among other people, uh, feminists and abolitionists. So people like Susan B. Anthony, Horace Greeley, um, just, and I just think that that's, that's so cool. It is. And I wonder if that's where some of the stereotypes come from, probably. Though, too, right? I yeah. mean, it probably does. That yeah. and then the 60s, which we'll, you know, we'll see a little bit later. Right. Um, but that makes, I mean, not that stereotypes are good, mm-hmm. but I mean, that kind of makes sense why that would be linked with, with that. With know. feminism and, right. yeah. Uh, and then also Louisa May Alcott's father. Now, Louisa May Alcott wrote Little Women, among other things. But her father, Amos Bronson Alcott, was a founder of the American Vegetarian Society. So then kind of things continue to progress. So that's mid-1800s. Uh, starting to show up in the late 19th century, early, early 20th century were vegetarian cookbooks, which is cool. Yeah. And you've got to think, back then, I mean... People who say it's hard to be... A, actually, I don't say it's hard. It's not hard for me to be a vegetarian. I mean, you have to make some... You have to do some planning, but it's really not that hard. I mean, I travel. I do, you know, mm-hmm. normal things. It's rarely impacted. But back then, that must have been much more challenging. Yeah, I, I and I think it depends on where... Of course, where... they didn't have McDonald's. And... No, thank goodness. I <laughs> uh, wish we didn't have McDonald's. Yeah. But I think it depends on your station in life, where That's you live. That's true, yeah. Uh, you know, what if, if you lived in a city, if you were a, a higher station, maybe, it probably would have been a little more challenging. And the only reason I say that is because there are more social conventions that you've got to deal with, just like we have today, Right. And um, you're not cooking for yourself. You've got staff cooking for you. You've got whatever. And you've got things, functions you have to attend and all this stuff. If you're more self-sufficient and you live, maybe you do farming or you live in an area that's supported by farms, it might be a little easier. Well, and then the plus side, again, everything was organic. Right. There was no GMOs back then. Right. Um, Exactly. So these vegetarian cookbooks, there, there was one in 1910 called The Vegetarian Cookbook by E.G. Fulton. And I, I definitely want to look that up. I think that would be a really interesting I read. I would love to have that. <clears throat> yeah, we'll have to find it. Yeah. Uh, but some of the recipes contained a meat substitute called protose, P-R-O-T-O-S-E, which was invented by uh, John um, Kellogg. Kellogg, thank you who was the founder of Kellogg's cereals, um, John Harvey Kellogg. That's it. Okay. Yeah. So in 1906, John Harvey Kellogg, uh, who was a vegetarian and a holistic doctor, founded Battle Creek Toasted Corn Flake Company because he wanted to give people an alternative to meat-laden breakfast. And so... um, Okay, he was holistic, but I just think about all the things that's happened with his cereals since then. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, and you know, I mean, you say holistic, he was holistic, but he was an interesting person. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, he was an interesting person. But uh, so he that but he founded cornflakes. He he created cornflakes and founded the cereal company because he wanted to have that alternative, which is good. 
Um, but anyway, one of the other things that he ended up creating was this meat substitute called Protos. And it was still being used in some products as late as the year 2000, which is pretty cool. Uh, his original formula for creating Protos is not available, but some modern cooks have attempted to recreate it, and apparently it had a really unique taste and texture. What so, was it, like Saitan or...? Yeah, so, yeah, like a... Yeah. Okay. But some modern cooks have tried to kind of recreate that by using the following ingredients. So natural peanut butter, wheat gluten, vegetable stock, cornstarch, chopped onion, Italian seasoning, and salt. So, I mean, just by listening to that, you can imagine it tastes pretty funky, right? Yeah. Um, But what they would do is they would cook this stuff and then let it set up kind of, I guess it kind of gelled with the cornstarch and the, the vegetable stock. And then once it was kind of congealed, slice it and then use that in um, foods. So I don't know. That's interesting. That is. Uh, and then uh, kind of going along the little cookbook line a little bit longer, skip, we'll skip ahead a few years. Uh, in, in the 70s, the cookbooks for vegetarian cooking began to actually address the protein issue, which, you know, we see a lot more now but up until the 70s it really wasn't so much of a thing that was considered okay so they started focusing more of the recipes maybe around beans and peanuts and such Mm -hmm. right grains okay yeah um so let's go back a little bit let's go back to 1906 again and talk a little bit about upton sinclair Yes. And his novel called The Jungle. Right. Now, I, I read this. Mm-hmm. I read this. I was probably about 11 when I read this. I was in high school when we read it. And it's uh, it's graphic. And it was so interesting about this is that he wrote it to chronicle the lives and challenges of immigrants in large American cities like Chicago. And what happened inadvertently from him writing this is that he created kind of a really alarming expose of the meatpacking industry because the immigrants in his story were a lot of them were workers, factory workers in these meatpacking plants. So he was writing about the horrible, unsanitary conditions and the way the animals and the, the hogs were treated and butchered. And, and so as a result of that, people started reading this, and it just created all kinds of outrage, which he really didn't intend. Yeah. Um, but it's totally cool. It's like taking a picture of someone and catching like a bank robbery in the back or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And yeah. so then um, two things happened as a result of his book. In Both in 1906, the Pure Food and Drug Act was enacted, and then also the U.S. Food and Drug Administration was created. So the FDA was created as a result of Upton Sinclair's book. I'm sure he had no idea that that, was, that would happen as a result of that. No. Yeah. And, and he was also a vegetarian. So, uh, you know, I can imagine that his writing, I need to read that book again, but his writing was more than just telling a story. It was himself infused into that, his beliefs in that. So then let's skip ahead again to 1947. This is really, this is really funny. So vegetarianism got political. Oh, <laughs> 
Yeah, in the 19- vegetarian vegetarian party. Yes, the American Vegetarian Party was formed in 1947, and they it was just before an election. You know, there was an election in 1948, and so they attempted to enter a candidate in the in the 48 election, but they screwed up. They ah. chose. I guess they didn't realize it, but they chose a non-citizen who ended up being disqualified. But after that, they had a candidate in every major election until 1964. Wow. Yeah. In 1964, was there, is that when the party disbanded? Do you yes. Know? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, I just thought that was really cool. And uh, that's another thing I'd really be interested in looking more into and finding out more about their platform. I was going to say, are you... I thought you were going to say you were interested in starting a vegetarian party again. Sure, why not? (laughs) Hey, sure beats what we have now, right? Um, No, I would really like to know more about their platform. I mean, did they actually advocate, you know, vegetarianism? And um, did they do animal rights issues, which I know were not big at the time? Right. What what types of things did they uh, run on? So let's look that up. Yeah. And then we've... uh, we see changes over time. And when I talk about changes in this sense, I'm talking about kind of reasonings. So as we talked about earlier, in the very beginning, most early vegetarians, it was a spiritual thing. And we already talked about how it was more um, to make people more spiritually pure and clean, maybe uh, in the eyes of God, or whatever deity, you know, you believe in. In the second half of the 20th century, you start to see more of a switch. And so vegetarianism became more secular. So we had more issues that were about ecological concerns. Um, Now we have our hippies who had the desire to be close to Mother Earth, close to the creatures on the planet, not necessarily uh, believing in God so much or, or believing in, you know, spirits more. So it was more about getting close to nature than God way up there. Yeah. I think for both of us, we're kind of, you know, as, as those of you who listen to us have listened to us for a while know that for us, it was very much about the animals. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was that after having seen the couple of documentaries that I saw, I just didn't want, first of all, of course, my heart was with the animals. But the other part is, is that, I personally, so I kind of relate to what you just said, because I personally did not want that negative energy Mm -hmm. in me. So that was a big thing for me. How about you? Yeah, no, I agree. Because when, when animals are mistreated and killed in the way that they are butchered, you have to think that that stays in that meat. Yeah. Right? It's some kind of energy. And I guess that's kind of religious in a way, Mm -hmm. you know? And of course, going back even, yeah, even going back to what we were talking about earlier, really believing that all living things have souls. Mm -hmm. And I I really do believe that. And I think if you have any animals in your house, or even if you don't have them in your house, but you just have taken the time to look in the eyes Mm -hmm. of an animal, You'll know that. You know that's true. Absolutely. (laughs) Right. So uh, kind of along with this, the ecological concerns, in 1971, an author named Francis Moore LaPay wrote a book called Diet for a Small Planet. So this this was cool. And, And this is another one that we need to add to our library. This was the first major book to note the environmental impact of meat production as um, and show it as wasteful and also a contributor of global food scarcity. 
So, and we've talked about that before. When we did a podcast, the podcast episode on environmental issues, we talked about that. We talked about how um, factory farming and takes up so many more food resources because of everything that it takes to feed these animals. It takes up much more food resources than the animals actually provide. Absolutely. And then some of the other more secular concerns are having to do with our own health. So what is this meat consumption doing to our bodies? And I know, you know, 70s, 80s, you started to see a lot of more concern about cholesterol and, you know, high blood pressure and cancer. And then what should you eat if you're sick? So when AIDS started to be a big problem, then you've got, you know, well, how do you keep yourself healthy when your immune system is compromised like that? So it became a lot more in the forefront, um, our own health. And not just, you know, about animals or about the earth. And then, of course, as it's gotten, as we've had more years progress, we've seen greater and greater awareness of animal rights. Right. Um, and, you know, that's, that's really... Thank goodness a, for that. I know. It's, it's so good to see that. Yeah. All right. So now let's talk about some notable vegetarians. All right. So the first one was kind of news to me when I read this in his biography... When, oh, it's been a few years since I read this now. But uh, Benjamin Franklin actually was vegetarian for a short period of time in his teen years. And one of the benefits, now I would have never, I mean, I've seen a lot of benefits of vegetarianism, but this is not one I would have thought of, that he noted that his food expenses went were cut in half, which allowed him to buy more books. But see, that's totally you. That's something you would say. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely. Awesome. That's cool. I love it. All right. And then there's Leo Tolstoy, George Bernard Shaw. Leonardo da Vinci, Mahatma Gandhi, Mark Twain, Ralph Waldo Emerson, President Clinton. Oh, I don't see Joan Jett on this list. Well, I'll tell you what. I was making this list, and you called me and said, don't panic, but I just got rear-ended. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I kind of forgot to go back All to right. the list. But but yes. we've seen more and more people yeah. uh, start to take on this vegetarian vegetarian lifestyle. And, you know, sometimes it can be more of a fad or more of a trend, but... A, I'm not too concerned with that because at least it gets people a taste of it. And maybe, you know, I tried it one time when I was a teenager for one year and it kind of prepped me to where I knew at least what to expect when I decided to give it up for good later in life. So I don't see that necessarily as a bad thing. Of course, I'd love that it wasn't a trend and people actually stuck with it. But, you know, even if it's a if it's a bit of a fad, at least it gets people more exposed to this. I, I say that because, you know, you see some celebrities coming out that they're vegetarian or vegan now. And I mean, whatever it takes to get some give it some voice. I think that's that's great. Oh, absolutely. I agree with you. All right. So I think that does it for our main topic today. Are we ready to get into the recipe of the week? And this looks really interesting. <laughs> sure, why not? Uh, what I thought I would do this week is find that uh, recipe for protos. And I've seen it on several websites. I've got a link to one right here. And um, I'll probably maybe put up a couple different ones. And just if anybody wants to try this, let us know how it I just got this out. visual of me coming home from work and you're in the kitchen with like this big witch's pot. It's like <laughs> you know I'm going to have to do with that now. a bunch now. of like, yeah. Like, and it's all set up like a lab or something. Yeah. Like, like That's actually very interesting. Yeah. We should take pictures of that and put them out when, we, when you make it or maybe even a video. Oh, am I going to make it? Okay. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'm making this stuff. 
<laughs> yeah, it's kind of interesting. All right. All right so and- let's talk about the quote of the week, and I'll let you share this one. Yes, please. I was just about to tell you that. Um, all right. So the quote of the week comes from a very interesting place. Vicky came home today after she had had her car accident, poor thing. Uh, but apparently she had gotten to go to Barnes and Noble before she got smacked in the rear. And uh, she came home with something in a bag and she said, I have something for you. And I said, ooh, 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 presents. Uh, but uh, she handed this to me and it was one of those little wooden plaques that has a saying on it. And what it says is, realize how good you really are. And she told me, she said, all right, I want you to put this in your office. So where you can see it all the time. Which is our family room. So I went and put it on the <laughs> mantle above the fireplace <laughs> because I work in our living room. Um, but I just wanted to thank you for that because, and this is a conversation that we had just a couple days ago about, we took a long walk and we talked about a lot of things. And this is one of the things that we talked about is that she said that I don't give myself credit that I beat myself up for the bad things, but I don't give myself credit for the good things. And then she comes home with this and uh, it just really means a lot to me. And I always have your support and I just wanted to thank you for that. You're welcome. It's very easy. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, that does it for our episode this week. If you find value, boy, would we appreciate you heading out to iTunes and leaving us a rating. And if you feel so inclined, leave us a five-star rating. We appreciate the feedback. And again, there's other people. We, we hear from so many people around the globe, not just around the United States, around the globe. And it takes a lot for them to find us through all the other podcasts that are out there sometimes. So every rating that you give us helps just a little bit more in the iTunes search engine. So we greatly appreciate it. As we said before, we always get so motivated when we hear from folks. So we would greatly appreciate you heading out there and leaving us a rating. Yep. And you'll get a virtual hug from us. All right. Well, that does it for this week on episode 76. Wow. Okay. See you then. Peace out. Bye. Thanks for joining us today on Vegetarian Zen. We've created a free resource for you to show you five ways to sneak more fruits and veggies into your diet. You can download it right now by visiting vegetarianzen.com. Until next time, wishing you a happy body and a healthy mind.